The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, EJ, we are now halfway through the NFC East. It is Commander's Day, the second best day for Commander's fans of the year. The The first best day is going to be when Dan Snyder's forced to sell the team. So one down, one to go. If the good Lord will bless us, Congress will force this man to finally be out of our lives once and for all. Commander's fans will finally have hope once and for all. We're going to try to give them as much hope as we can today. Believe me, we will. But you and I both know what the true key to happiness for Commanders fans will be, and that is new ownership, but one thing at a time. For now, we're going to go over everything that has happened to the Washington Commanders between now and the end of last season. We're going to recap what happened in 2021. We're going to recap all the transactions, all the draft picks, uh, the coaching staff, the power structure at B, and we're going to at least try to give Commanders fans a little glimmer of hope for this season, but uh, it's tall order today, <laughs> very tall order. But we're gonna we're gonna do our best. We're pushing the rock uphill, are we? I was gonna say, well, we got Gettleman out of the division. You know, we complained enough that New York made a change in the division. So you know, I guess Dan Snyder's up next, and uh, I don't think too many people would be sad about that. Uh, we're gonna talk about the on-field stuff and the player acquisition and the coaching and the scheme and strategy we would be remiss if we didn't mention that the washington football organization above that the front office stuff is a white hot mess uh and has been for some time so and i think that's putting it mildly so if there was a change there uh, i think the number of commanders fans that were sad about that at this point you could probably count on one hand Maybe I think everybody would never met a commander's fan that liked their ownership position at all. Not, not a one. So So. hold hope (laughs) commanders fans that this, this might be the time, but in the meantime, we're going to focus on uh, the folks that are in the building that are trying to put a football product on the field. And we're, I don't know. It's not all going to be gloom and doom. We we like a lot of this roster, so I think there might be more positive glimpses today than you than you might think going in. Well, let's start by looking back at twenty twenty one because this team, you know, it wasn't as bad as as maybe some people 
remember uh what's the opposite of rose colored glasses you know it, it we think about washington and we think about you know the dumpster fire at the very very top and and i think sometimes we let that uh invade our opinions of the team themselves the team themselves wasn't awful you know they were slightly below average but you know if a, if a couple balls bounced their way in a few more games they would have been above 500 and they they would have been a team that you know not everybody really wanted to play against because they do have a lot of talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Like if a couple injuries didn't happen and a couple bounces went the other way, they very easily could have pushed for a seven seed. So this is a better team than people think that's saying a lot, considering a lot of the circumstances they've had to deal with. And I think that they got even better for 2022. Like this is a team that legitimately could take another step forward if things break their way it's a big if but looking back at 2021 they went seven and ten they finished third in the division three and five at home they have virtually no home field advantage to speak of um for obvious reasons uh, on the road four and five which is decent for a road record like if you can go you know 500 ish on the road that's actually pretty darn good so if they can just maintain that and then pick up a couple extra wins at home they'll be in good shape the problem was in their last five, they slipped to one and four. Like, they were in position, they were in it, and then it just it kind of fell apart on them in the last month or so of the season. So, again, that's another thing they have to clean up, being strong in December. We've talked about that over and over in, in these team previews. The teams that are good in December are the ones that really have the most success because not only is it important to build momentum going into the playoffs, but it's important to be able to play in adverse weather conditions when things get colder and windier and wetter because you're not guaranteed, you know, a patch of the Super Bowl that's all just dome after dome after dome. You're going to have to be able to play in shit weather. And some teams can and some teams can't. So it's really, really critical to be good in December and the best teams usually are. I do think that, again, we're going to get into the talent on the roster. They can do better than 7-10 and 10 this season. Maybe not a whole lot better, but a little bit better. I don't disagree with that at all. I think, again, we like a lot of parts of this roster. In fact, just pre-show, we were comparing it to their division rivals of the New York Giants, and we just went through that roster yesterday. This roster I would take most parts of over that, in fact, Possibly all parts, uh, with the exception of the quarterback room. Um, and that's saying something for all the shit I've talked about Daniel Jones that I would <laughs> take that. But Carson Wentz, at this stage of his career, I, I don't think is an option over somebody like Daniel Jones that still has some potential, I think. But so many of these rooms throughout the commander's organization are better. Like, they're really solid talent-wise. So it's not a stretch to me to imagine that they can be better. Yes, they need breaks. And yes, unfortunately, they need good quarterback play, just like every other team in the NFL. I'm not sure if they're going to get that. Uh, but there is so much talent on this roster spread around. Could have the impact and push them to a greater result in 2022. Let's take a look at the power structure of B, the people that are trying to, to guide this ship here. Uh, Martin Mayhew, year two at general manager, has made... Uh, quite a few excellent picks, in my opinion. I think he's done a, a pretty good job of at least trying to restock the shelves here. You know, get the talent level comparable with the rest of the people in the division, which 
Again, comparing it to the Giants, I think that their roster is in a better shape than the Giants, so at least they got that going for them. Uh, Marty Herney, also in year two as EVP of football and player personnel, former Panthers general manager for people who remember him there. Uh, Ron Rivera, third year at head coach, uh, by all accounts considered to be one of the, the good guys of the league. You know, I've, I've never talked to anybody that's ever said a bad word about Ron Rivera. So if there was ever a coach that you want to have leading your program, it's somebody like that. You know, somebody who is unimpeachable character, that players respect, media respects, everybody in the building respects. He's the kind of guy they need there, for sure. And I think that's why they hired him, because they knew they needed that kind of presence. Uh, at coordinator, Scott Turner, year three, 10 years of coaching experience, son of Norv Turner, if the name sounds familiar. Uh, Jack Del Rio, he's a person. Uh, and then Nate Katzer. Year four at special teams coordinator. There's another general theme going through all of these these teams where if you can find a competent special teams coach, uh, they survive regime changes. That's the one coordinator position that tends to survive because it is not an easy uh, not an easy position to fill. There is a a lack of great special teams coordinators in the league as we've come to find out. So if you find one, hold on to them tight. Yeah, Scott Turner, Norv Turner's son. Uh, the name looks familiar, and probably so does Washington's running game if you followed Norv's career. Uh, Scott understands how to put running backs in good situations, and the Washington backs have benefited from that. Jack Del Rio, a lot of experience. Um, the off-field stuff isn't great. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. Overall, I think Ron Rivera is the guy they have to have leading this team because um again the front office does not go out of its way in fact might go out of its way the other way to make his job a lot harder than it has to be he's had to answer for a lot of things that he's not responsible for and yes head coaches have to do that all the time Rivera's had more than his fair share of that in this job and has held a very steady ship uh where a lot of people wouldn't have so they can win with this structure at the top um you know, and we talked uh, when we were talking about the Tampa Bay staff in terms of experience and one of the most experienced staffs in the league. Washington's staff gives them an equal run for their money in terms <laughs> of overall years of NFL experience. It's ridiculous. So going into the notable coaches on offense, John Matsko, the OL coach, 31 years of NFL coaching experience. He's been with the Cards, the Saints, the Giants, the Rams, the Chiefs, the Ravens, and the Panthers. So if you're adding that up, no, it's getting up towards third of the league. Uh, right behind him, Juan Castillo, the tight ends coach, 26 years of NFL coaching experience. Played in the USFL, the original one. <laughs> Ken Zampezi, quarterback's coach, 24 years of NFL coaching experience. Been with the Eagles, the Packers, the Rams, the Bengals, and the Browns, and also coached in the AAF. Right there, you've got 81 years of NFL coaching experience. Three coaches, 81 years of NFL experience, and it doesn't stop there. Randy Jordan is the running backs coach. Nine seasons coaching the Washington running backs, so he has survived regime change as well. He played nine years total in the league with the Raiders and the Jaguars as a running back. Jennifer King is the assistant running backs coach. We got to see her up close at the Shrine Bowl. She's going to be a lead running backs coach in the NFL very shortly. She is an excellent coach. It was really fun to watch her work with half the Shrine Bowl running backs. Her, her drills were really, really I interesting. I loved 
her interaction with the players, her focus, some of her drills. Uh, there was a blocking drill in particular where I, uh, you may have seen the video I posted. I was standing kind of on a high embankment and they had, you know, simulated rushers coming in, running backs with bags, basically having to deflect them to either side, move their hips and their feet, strike and punch. Watching her coach that drill, run that drill back, give really focused pointers as a sort of teaching and learning nerd. I was entranced. She is a very good communicator as all coaches are. Um, great, great coach. And you see it in the Washington running backs. They're, you know, capably three deep, you know, they could bring in their third string running back and see very little drop off. That's, that's a sign of a great coaching duo in Jordan and King. And then Travell Wharton, the assistant OL line coach, 10 year NFL O lineman, mostly with the Panthers, but he had a cup of coffee with the Bengals at the end. Many, current NFL fans uh, will remember that name. He did not play that long ago. And it continues on the defense and special team side. Sam Mills, the third. Yes, not the second. That one tripped me up. Defensive line coach, <laughs> 17 years of NFL coaching experience. He's the son of Sam Mills Jr., the linebacker, longtime Saints linebacker and Panthers linebacker. Jeff Ganina, assistant defensive line coach, seven years of coaching experience. Also got to watch him coach up close at the Shrine Bowl. Great guy. Got to meet him. Great coach. And played with more teams than I remembered. I knew he played for a bunch of teams, uh, but not as many as I remembered. Uh, Steelers, Panthers, Falcons, Rams twice, Colts, Dolphins, and Texans as a player. So lots of different systems, lots of different coaches. You see that in a lot of folks that go on from a playing career to a coaching career is that they just have exposure to lots of coaches some of them i'm sure they were like i'm gonna do that if i become a coach and some of them they're like i'm never gonna do that if i become a coach <laughs> and equally i think those things are valuable chris harris coaching defensive backs for washington nine years of nfl coaching experience nine years chris harris mm-hmm Former NFL safety, Bears twice, Panthers, Lions, and Jaguars as a player. And then Richard Rodgers, not the tight end Richard Rodgers. He is the assistant DB coach, 31 years of NFL coaching experience. That's how you know he's not Richard Rodgers, the tight end. The uh, other, other, other Richard Rodgers. That's right. Played three seasons in the Arena Football League. So coaches come from all over. Uh, we've seen coaches from the CFL, from the USL, from the AAF, from the Arena Football League college even high school occasionally uh you know josh mccallum was going to go from high school coaching to nfl coaching a couple of years ago so this staff is loaded players super experienced nfl coaches um rivera has one of the widest networks in nfl coaching circles and it shows on the sort of size and depth and diversity of this staff that's a great base to build a program on he was uh when i say he uh jeff skinia first of all i remember him as a texan i remember him as a, uh, as a player um back in like the late 2000s texans uh under coobs and kyle shanahan was there at oc which is probably how he ended up getting the defensive line coach position under shanahan in san francisco he played an integral part in developing a young deforest buckter and so I, I've always kind of respected his work working with young interior defensive linemen. So um, I think that looking at him plus John Allen plus Fedarian Mathis, you know, Deron Payne, like that's that's a murderer's row that if there was anybody that I think could help 
not just make them as good as they are, but make them even better than they are. I think Jeff Skinnin is one of them. Really, really, really good defensive line coach. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Why don't we take a look at personnel losses and this was another one of these teams that had a a rather large chart uh in terms of kind of ripping it down to the studs a lot of names out the door not quite as as many as the giants but it's pretty close and uh, a lot of the the kind of slash and burn they did here was to make room for carson wentz who they're paying 32 million a year at this point they still have some cap space left. Definitely better cap situation than the Giants, but they they had to get rid of a lot of fat uh, from this roster, and boy, did they. Adam Humphreys is gone. Eric Flowers is gone. Ryan Fitzpatrick retired. It's technically counts, but not really. Uh, Landon Collins is gone. Uh, Tim Settles now with the Bills. That one hurt me a little bit because I felt like he was a, a, uh, a solid rotational piece for them. Matt Ioannidis hurt me even more because he's an even better rotational piece for them. But he's now down in Carolina. Uh, Brandon Scherf is also gone. So both of their starting guards are out the window. Uh, and then Kyle Allen, uh, the veteran backup journeyman, however you want to label it, he's now in Houston. So uh, a lot of, of roster turnover here, especially on the interior offensive and defensive lines. Usually not a place that you want to make yourself thin. That being said, they did do a good job of replacing some of those guys, and we'll get into that in a second. But um, I did find the slash and burn to create cap space all in the name of, of trading for Carson Wentz to be rather fascinating. Fascinating is one adjective. It's not the one I would choose. <laughs> Certainly not the move I think either one of us would have made. In fact, I made the point pre-show that, honestly, if you take the backup room behind them which they didn't have all those guys they didn't have two of those three guys uh on the roster when they when they signed or traded for Carson Wentz it's a lot of money for a guy that's had very checkered success of late um you know I said fool me twice you said I think we're on fool me three times at this point I'm, <laughs> I'm starting to feel like that it's a strange move in terms of yeah let's let's cut a lot of players uh from our core core of the offensive and defensive lines to make room for a guy we think can do it at quarterback but uh, hasn't shown that in a while and is wildly expensive that's that's the balance is all the money over here for Carson Wentz with I would say middling production or mid-level production at best I think that's being generous versus a whole bunch of contributors that generally cost a lot less than that. There's a few high dollar guys. Uh, Brandon Scherf was making a fair amount of money for sure. Um, Ioannidis, okay, but was still in terms of salary, pretty reasonable. Um, so it's, it's just a strange trade. 
I think, you know, Fitzpatrick retiring sort of forced their hand maybe a little bit more and they weren't necessarily wild about what they could get in the quarterback class. So they felt like they had to make a move. And bottom line, they think it was the best one they could make. You and I would disagree. I do want to stress, by the way, that going into the free agency period at the start of the league year, Washington only had about a million and a half in effective cap space. So they were kind of up against it from the start. Um, it was only inevitable that, you know, sure, for $16.5 million, there was no way they could afford that. Um, you know, Ioannidis at 5.9, like they, there were moves available where they could have afforded that. But again, they're, they were really in non-spending mode. You know, Landon Collins, they, $14 million a year, no way. You know, they're not going to stick to that. Eric Flowers, $10 million a year, they're not going to stick to that. They were really, really, really trying to shed as much responsibility as they could so that they could bring in Carson Wentz and do the other moves necessary to make it possible to bring in Carson Wentz. In terms of players they retained, it's all, all cheap guys. Very similar theme to the Giants, where it's don't have a lot of space. We got to do this thing for cheap. J.D. McKissick, now designated as a wide receiver, by the way, not running back. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. He, he is a receiving back where almost all of his production comes from catches, but it's all catches out of the backfield. So I, uh, whatever. I'm curious to see how that shakes out. Danny Johnson, rotation, not rotational corner, uh, depth corner for like 1.2 million. Cornelius Lucas played a whole bunch of snaps for them due to injuries last year um, at tackle. 3.2 for a swing tackle. Sure, you're not going to do better than that. Bobby McCain for $5 million. I know he's on the older side for a safety. Bobby McCain is still a very effective safety. Getting him for $5 million, I actually thought was a coup for them. And Lord knows they needed it because, again, they weren't sitting on a whole lot of cash going into this free agency period. They have a little bit more money now, but, again, going into the start of the league year, they were... They were kind of up against it. I do kind of want to loop in the free agency additions from third-party teams on top of this just to illustrate, again, where all of their money that they cleared went. It's $32 million to Wentz, $5 million to Norwell, uh, and then $3 million to Trey, uh, Trey Turner. So Scherf is getting sixteen five from the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? Well, literally half that is what the commanders are spending for both of their projected starting guards combined. Like, that is where we're at now, where it was do everything you can, including giving up a, a second-round pick for Carson Wentz. Do everything you can financially and pick-wise to get this quarterback that we hope, keyword hope, on his third team in three years can get back to being somewhat similar to the quarterback he was five years ago. That's the situation we're in right now. When you say it that way, doesn't it sounds, sound super great. <laughs> it sounds just as bad as it is. Uh, yeah. yeah, so you were just wondering where all their money went. Oh, Jesus. How long have you been sitting on that? I waited that whole time. <laughs> I waited that whole time, and it was well worth it. This is a theme that we've seen play out in many of these preview episodes you know keep the center lock the center in shift the guards drop some money pick up a couple of guards for less than you would have paid one guard 
um, and spend that, you know, redistribute that money elsewhere. It seems to be a pretty popular way to sort of manage cash and cap flow. And the commanders are no exception. They, that number just kills me. Like the draft pick aside, which is egregious, 32 million for the current version of Carson Wentz is irresponsible. Like that's that's all I got. I mean they they took on the contract and gave up a second round pick. Complete fleecing. Like Ballard is a he's an idiot for having signed him and he's a genius for being able to get him out the door with those conditions after the season he put up in Indianapolis. Um I I don't know what the motivation is there to believe that and there are many moves around the nfl where i don't understand the motivation the consequences of this one both draft pick and cash at 32 million doesn't matter i mean they they gave up interior defensive line depth you know they they gave up a a a quality guard in Mm -hmm. sheriff like i get like jacksonville paid a lot of money but like you you didn't if they went a different direction or if they just bit the bullet and you know maybe they you know were in on the corral sweepstakes or Malik Willis or or whoever and and went cheap and young at quarterback well they Um, did (laughs) they they, yeah technically um not to be their starter obviously but if they did that like they could have retained Scherf if he wanted to be there which I'm not entirely sure he wanted to be but I don't know. I just I feel like they got rid of a lot of quality players for somebody who, let's be honest, might not be the long term solution anyway. I think Carson Wentz at this point is an average NFL starter in the best possible circumstances, which Indy was the best possible circumstances. And he was fine, but not enough to even get that team into the playoffs and they were a very good roster so if he couldn't even get the Colts into the playoffs who are probably a better overall roster than Washington is how is he going to get Washington into the playoffs when they have to slash quality players just to get him in the first place I don't know I don't want to rag on it too much I don't want to belabor the point but yeah not not what I would have done. Um, looking at the draft, though, at least the front office nailed that. I, I thought they had a lot of quality picks there to to try to restock the shelves and at least try to surround Wentz with some talent. Silver linings? Yeah, we we got through the stinky part. And now we get to sell the sizzle. We get to we get to talk about the fun part. Um, the draft was very solid for the Commanders, and they did bring in a lot of talent who fit well with their system, which is what you want to see any team do quite a few picks which was good they again need to restock as as a team that was up against the cap and spent a lot on a quarterback doesn't leave them a lot of wiggle room and the way to manage that in terms of player acquisition is get folks through the draft and get folks as as udfas so in the draft started off round one pick 16 Jahan dotson wide receiver penn state one of the best slot weapons in this draft in my mind Many folks said, "Mm, no, he's equally good outside. I didn't think so. They currently have him slotted on the preliminary depth chart as an outside receiver. I don't think that's hard and fast. Uh, 
I think they'll put him where he functions best. A very good and dynamic addition to a receiving core that could use it. Already has some weapons. This is one more in the in the current NFL climate. That's a good thing. There's no no such thing as too many weapons at wide receiver. Round two, pick 47. Fedarian Mathis at DT out of Alabama. Man, they got a type. And this is <laughs> right to type. Very solid player. Explosive in a straight line. Big guy. Sort of deceptively quick getting by people. Not great laterally. Super powerful. Uh, can control his gap. Gap and a half pretty easily. Right down the line in terms of what Washington likes in those interior defensive line players. Round three, pick 98, a compensatory pick. They get Brian Robinson Jr., the running back out of Alabama. I think fits a role they didn't really have in their running back room. Brian Robinson. Somebody that can pass protect? <laughs> that He can do a little bit of everything. He's a very good athlete. Um, not surprising, having played running back at Alabama. Uh, catches passes pretty well. Has some moves is easily big enough, as you said, to pass, protect, and good and solid at doing that. Just a very solid football player all around. Not super high highs a lot of times. There are a few really flashy plays on his tape. Um, Taking a screen pass, I think it was against Old Miss, like 70 yards, caught it like three yards past the line of scrimmage, little bubble screen, and just took off. Nobody caught him. So very physically talented guy, but a really well-rounded running back with good size. Round four, pick 113, Percy Butler, the safety out of Louisiana. We got to see him at the Shrine Bowl. Uh, Again, both Jennifer King and Jeff Canino were at the Shrine Bowl coaching. This is a little local intel. They got to watch him all week and came back and probably said, "Mm, we could we could take that guy on our team a lot of people bring up his special teams prowess first kind of bugs me because he's a good safety too he's excellent as a special teamer but he's a good safety in his own right and could earn a starting role there eventually round five pick 144 this is their young option at quarterback this is sam howell the sort of fifth option out of the five quarterbacks this year starter from north carolina who looked better, I think, in 2020 than he did in 2021. A lot of his talent on his team left to go to the NFL. In fact, one of his lead receivers left to go and was drafted by the commanders, De'Ami Brown. So he's reunited with him. Uh, is he an immediate starter? No. If you look at his 2020 tape and squint, can you see an NFL starter? <laughs> you can. As long as you're just throwing nine balls down the boundary, yeah, you're good and, to go. <laughs> and he can do that. And he morphed his game for his team last year. He became a runner. He had a tremendously successful season running the football, which he hadn't done in the past in, in large bunches, but, again, had many less receiving weapons. So took it upon himself to gain yards and first downs how he could and had a tr- really tremendous rushing season. So Sam Howell's some potential. Uh, is it immediate? No. Is he going to need to develop? Yeah. He's got freaking Ken Zampezi as his quarterback's coach. Best spot ever for a young quarterback who's got a really good deep ball and a familiarity with one of his receivers already. Plus, you know, Terry McLaurin, no slouch. <laughs> so he's got a chance to play himself into uh, – you know, QB two eventually. I think they're really set with Taylor Heineke right there right now, but a good young asset. They can see what he has. Doesn't have to start right away, which is key. Uh, if Howell had been drafted for a role where he had to come in and lead a franchise, I would have been a lot more worried about his eventual long-term prospects. 
Pick five, uh, 149, Cole Turner, the tight end from Nevada. The commanders love tight ends, <laughs> and they love project tight ends. They have six, seven of them on the roster right now, and they love converted quarterbacks. They love crazy athletes from uh, the international program like Samus Reyes. They'll, they'll grab anybody at tight end. Cole Turner is kind of uh, Greg Dulcich light if you followed the draft this year, the UCLA whoa, tight end. Whoa, 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 whoa. You don't think he's Greg Dulcich light? How light? Are we talking like, I can't believe it's not Dulcich light? <laughs> I got to give you that one just on comedic genius. That's that's awesome. I like Cole Turner, obviously, more than you do. He's, you know, in the fifth round. Sure, this is a big, tall tight end. Caught a lot of uh, really quality passes for his quarterback. And if you want to see what he can do, go watch the last drive of Nevada against Fresno State. It was Cole Turner, Cole Turner, Cole Turner, Cole Turner touchdown to Cole Turner. Like he just took over that game in the last couple of minutes and he has great potential, but man, the path to playing time thing is weird. Cause you can't tell it's kind of like um, one of those rosters where they have three backs and they're all good. And so you don't know who to play in fantasy. They have six freaking tight ends. You have no idea who's going to get touches, but Cole Turner with a lot of talent. All the way down around seven, pick 230, one of my favorite picks of the entire draft. Chris Paul, the offensive guard from Tulsa. Everybody concentrated on the other tackle slash guard. Now Chris Paul played tackle uh, at Tulsa, but he's, a, I think, a very good guard prospect. And I would be pretty surprised. We were, we were sort of comparing notes pre-show. I'd be pretty surprised if he didn't end up as a second-string guard this season for the Commanders. I think he's that good. Very powerful, great movement skills, well over 300 pounds. He's going to fit well in their run game and eventually play a fairly large role, even if it's as a backup for the Commanders. Last pick, seventh round, pick 240. Christian Holmes, the cornerback from Oklahoma State, didn't watch him. Well, at least you're honest. And I am too. I didn't watch him either. <laughs> <laughs> At least we're honest together yeah. about that. But uh, Jahan Dotson, uh, a little early for me. Again, I, I like Jahan Dotson. Um, somebody compared him to to Tyler Lockett, and I could see that a little bit from a from a skill set perspective. Um, I I think maybe if we're talking about young Tyler Lockett, like coming out of KSU. Oh. You know, because at that point, Tyler hadn't quite figured out how to beat press yet. He got better at it, obviously, as time went on. Um, and I think Jahan Dotson, like, if we're talking about KSU, Tyler Lockett, yeah, about there. Where it's, if he's a Z, or if he's in the slot, anywhere off the line of scrimmage, where he's got um, a little bit of space to get away from length. And in particular, I kind of want him working the middle of the field because if he is off the ball and then he has to try to make up ground to stack on somebody down the boundary, I don't think he can quite do that. So if he is off the ball, he's got to be more inbreakers or comebacks or outbreakers. I don't want him going vertical from you know a yard off the line of scrimmage outside. Like I don't think he quite has the juice or the physicality to do that. And you saw that on tape as well. If you want him going vertical outside, it has to be as an X, but I just don't know if he has the release package to do that yet. So primarily for now, looking at the receiving core, Terry, X, yes. Um, Deami Brown, outside, probably 
could start ahead of Dotson early. And then Jahan Dotson, I think, will be competing with Curtis Samuel for slot duty or his number three duty early on. And then at that point, it's just based on package and play call and all that kind of stuff. Because Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dotson are very, very different players. Could That could potentially line up in the same spot. I think the one spot I really just don't want him to play is X for now. You know, maybe down the line when his release baggage improves, but for now, just a Z or slot, uh, which is why, again, I think it's a 16, a little bit early for me, especially considering some of the other receivers that were on the board. But I get it. You know, they had Carson Wentz. They wanted to give him as many weapons as humanly possible to at least try to make him successful. So on that level, I understand. Uh, Fedarian Mathis, uh, it's not a it's not a Washington draft without taking an Alabama defensive lineman at some point. I see him as, you know, probably a, a guy to rotate in behind uh, John Allen. I don't think he's quite got the chops to be a nose like uh, like Payne. I think it's more of a more of a, a rotational you know, three to five, like John Allen. So, you know, just mix in the other Bama guy to go with the other Bama guys. Uh, Brian Robinson, I really did love in the third round. And I think the the move to wide receiver for McKissick, at least a reported move to wide receiver for McKissick, really opens the door for Robinson to get a lot of snaps on third downs. Because again, he can pass protect. And he can pass protect very, very, very well. In addition to catch the ball a little bit too. So, I think that really opens the door for him to get significant snaps as a rookie, as a third down back, while uh, while obviously Antonio Gibson gets all the early down work, which he probably will because they want to preserve his health and you know keep a healthy rotation with him. Um, and then Jared Patterson, yeah, I don't give him a give him a drive a game just to see a little spark plug. I know, tish, I know he's your guy. Tish, I know tish. he's your guy. Uh, Percy Butler, I think. Early on, like he's not going to start over McCain or Curl. Mm-hmm. If they want to do some three-safety stuff, he's a downhill, not just hitter, striker. So I think he would be the guy who's more of a down-safety and a three-safety package. The other two, if just assuming it's, it's like a two-high structure. The other two are going to be high. He's going to be down low. But early on, he will make his name on special teams. I know that you know mm-hmm. you're remiss to... Bring that it's up just the that first everybody thing. leads with that, and usually that's kind of the backhanded compliment of oh, I. I know, but he's great he's at special really, teams. Really, really, really fucking good at it. <laughs> like, totally that's agree. That's totally what he's going to make his name for early. Like he's, I don't, I don't want to compare somebody to Matthew Slater, but like if he plays in the league for a long time, it's because he's Matthew Slater, but a DB. Like that's that's really what we're talking about here. He's so good he's, at it. You know a. He could potentially, I think, and this is high praise from a guy that watched him for a long time, he could be Sherrick McManus. And hmm. a lot of people are like, oh, that's not great. Sherrick McManus was good when he came in to play at safety, but he made a living leading the special teams units in Chicago for a long time. Again, as an unheralded player in the draft, it's it's not faint praise to say Percy Butler could carve himself out an NFL career that looked a lot like Sherrick McManus. And if he makes it seven, eight years in the league, playing primarily special teams, guess what? That's a great career. That's like a top 1% career for NFL yep. players. So <laughs> there's worse fates. Um, how, I, at some point, he's going to start a game this year. I, I truly believe that. Probably. 
I, I can't explain why, and I can't explain when, but I can't shake the feeling that, like, somewhere along the line, we're going to see Sam Howell on that field. And it might just be like a, fuck it, let's see what he's got, you know, type moment. But I, I feel like we're going to get that moment at some point this year. Uh, Cole Turner, I can't believe it's not Dulcich. You know, former wide receiver. Uh, he's just a big slot. I, I don't want him playing any sort of Y-type role. Nope. Straight up big slot, um, which means that if he gets on the field, it'll be, you know, in in 12 personnel looks alongside Logan Thomas, not instead of Logan Thomas. Mm-hmm. Yep. But he's also competing for that same role with Antonio Guinea-Golden, who's a converted wide receiver to tight end now, and Armani Rogers, who's an absolute freak of nature, who we'll talk about in a little bit too converted quarterback to tight end and then also Samus Reyes converted basketball player to tight end so he's converting for that like glorified big slot role with like four other dudes so we'll see um and then Chris Paul I totally agree I think I think he could end up being a number two guard for them a swing guard for them by the end of this year because I think that he's more talented than Wes Schweitzer so overall I like the class a lot a couple picks that you know maybe eh, not quite what I would have done but I understand the methodology behind it What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Yeah, add to that their UDFA hall, and not a huge one in terms of number of names, but three guys in particular that really, in my mind, add to their draft class, especially with where they are as a team. We've talked about their cap situation, we've talked about their quarterback situation, and they brought in three players out of this undrafted class that caught our eyes at different times. And we'll start with we'll start with the one Cole Kelly, the quarterback from Southeast Louisiana. He had been on my watch list as a sort of tier two. If you get to him, check him out. There's there might be something there. Um, you and I actually ended up watching him together at one point. There was a lot of holy shit, Sutter. He's remarkably fun. <laughs> that guy can launch it. He can yeah. straight up launch it and uh, has moved around a little bit as a quarterback. He's currently quarterback four, sitting behind Sam Howell. Put that guy with Ken Zampezi and see if he can make something out of him, even uh, a reasonable backup that could come in for a game or two because he's got all the physical skills. Very tall guy, huge arm, um, and surprisingly tough and good as a runner. Not uh, the guy that's going to take off and grab you 40 yards, but if you need you know, eight yards on third and seven, he's he's going to get him, and sometimes between the tackles. So really fun athlete, um, played against some lesser competition, but lit some folks up. There are some launches on his tape. So Cole Kelly, keep an eye on him. Um, the other one was the very first wide receiver name I wrote down about, well, a couple of months earlier than this time last year, and that's Chiquezazard, Sam Houston State, uh, he was on Feldman's Freaks list, Bruce Feldman that writes for The Athletic. Very small in stature, also played for Sam Houston State. 
but is lightning fast and plays special teams. So a great returner. You can call him a gadget fourth or fifth wide receiver. And if he's going to be a fifth wide receiver, like he's going to have to play special teams. Does he make the 53? Don't know, but he's going to make some plays in camp. Like, give me, give me Cole Kelly throwing to Jaquez's hard deep downfield and trying to beat a, you know, third or fourth string defensive back. That's going to be some fun highlights. And then our guy, Armani Rogers, tight end from Ohio, little misleading, played quarterback for most of his career at UNLV, transferred to Ohio, um, decided for the draft process, I think wisely, I'm going to convert to tight end. I, I don't think I'm going to make it as a quarterback prospect. Tall guy, 6'5", probably running about 230 right now, maybe 235 if he's continued to gain weight. Incredibly athletic, fluid, looked natural playing tight end, literally in the first day he'd ever done it, ever, <laughs> on a practice field against some of the best talent in the country at the Shrine Bowl. We sat down, we got to interview him, and we said, so how's your training been going? He's, oh, good. How's the tight end specific stuff? We know you're transit. He's like, I was first day. And we were like, excuse me and he's like no that's first time i've ever run routes and i was like first time this week and and he was head faking dudes yeah he was doing he, the whole like, eh, eh, like he's i was like what the fuck like wh- day one that's not where'd fair. you learn so, this <laughs> great athlete really quick you know again washington loves with a capital l players like this athletic um transition project tight ends and you know, they already had two or three, so I'm a little bit surprised they grabbed him, but I'm also totally not surprised that they grabbed him. Has yeah. the potential to be very similar to Logan Thomas, a former converted, you know, quarterback turned tight end who is very athletic and quite good. And two or three years from now, we could be saying the exact same thing about Armani Rogers. If there was ever a guy to learn behind it's logan thomas because him yeah it's the same journey he can give him tips and pointers and it's the perfect environment for armani rogers and and i think they got him when they recruited him because they literally pointed at logan thomas and said look what we did that's that's our that's our son you know please that's our our next son yes it's it's like our one brand that we have other than human trafficking is converting quarterbacks to tight (laughs) ends Oh, man. We weren't going to make the whole show without it. <laughs> no, no, we weren't. Oh, God. Anyway, <laughs> team floor, team ceiling. So this is this is a segment we do to close out every single show. And it's uh, the, the, the ceiling for wins and the floor for wins. This is another one of those teams that has a massive range. I could see four wins if things completely fall apart at the seams, because again, it's a thin roster. Starting 22 is awesome. Some positions are, are deeper than others. I think it's deeper than the Giants, but it's still not adequately deep, I think, to get through entirely the rigors of an NFL season and everybody that gets hurt. like th- There's still some thinness there that concerns me a lot, but it's really about thin roster plus questions of quarterback. Like This could very easily fall apart, and there'll be a four-win team. Or, people or. stay healthy. Carson Wentz is still average-ish. The receiving core, with as talented as it is, you know, takes over games by itself. The D-line, with as talented as it is, takes over games by itself. Now we're looking at nine wins. I would even accept ten. I would accept the argument for ten, because anything can happen in the NFC East. I would, I would more settle towards the nine 
range of that spectrum. And at that point, you're competing for a seven seed. You know, you're, you're legitimately competing for a seven seed. Will you get it? Eh, tough to say. There are a lot of teams in the NFC that I think are in that pool, and Washington is towards the bottom of that group, I would say. But it's reasonable to make that argument that they could compete for a wild card. But everything, and I mean everything, has to go right for that to happen. The NFC East was the division that nobody seemed to want to win for a long time, and I would say the commander's chances were better in those days. With all the moves that Philadelphia has made, uh, Dallas hoping again that everything goes right for them, staying healthy. Competition is tougher in the division. I really like Ron Rivera as a coach. I like him in his approach, the way he teaches, the way he assembles a staff, the way he treats players. I love all that stuff. I'm not sure that he's the guy to lead the franchise over the hump to true like division win double digit dominance rolling into the playoffs looking like a team to beat it just doesn't feel that way we haven't seen that and i'm not sure that this is the year to do that could it happen yes my top would be nine i have eight just like you would accept the argument for 10 i would accept the argument for nine I don't see reasonable expectation above that. I'm going to say eight. I feel a little bit safer about that given the quarterback situation. And again, it's a good, solid staff, and it's going to put together a good, solid team, and they're going to have a good, solid result right in the middle. I just don't see them as as leaders, as folks to chase. Uh, my floor, because of that good, solid structure, is five, one more than yours at four. They, you know, they're not going to lose all of them and they're not going to really threaten to win all of them. They're going to have a few games a year that they sort of leave it, leave it on the cutting room floor. And you think, oh, if they if they did a couple more things, they could have had that game. But they have a bunch of those every year, you know, a handful. And that means winning double digit games is rough to do. So everything comes together and Carson Wentz plays even decently. I'd say eight's the ceiling. The same time, if Carson Wentz gets hurt right away and they start Taylor Heineke, you know, I'm not sure they don't win the same eight and maybe even look better doing it. Um, if they start taking injuries to some of those thinner position units, five wins is the floor for me. So they're over under right now. Is it seven and a half? You taking the under on that? Oh, yeah. I probably would too. Just because I think playing, it's more likely that things yeah, go wrong than go right. It's playing percentage at that point. Like, yeah. does that mean I seriously believe they're going to win seven games or less? I think them winning seven games or less is more likely than them winning eight games or more. And that's the line at seven and a half, right? I'm like, mm, it's more likely they win less. Would I, you know, would I be shocked if they won eight and I lost my money? No, which means I won't be betting on this team because <laughs> they're very hard to predict. But if they're over under seven and a half, I'd say that's right about where it should be. And I would bet the under. I mean, it is the NFC East, which means they're going to go like 11 and six. Just despite They us. could stomp, right? But to your point, Everything has to go right. Health has to be right. Look, their secondary is really good. Their defensive line is really good. Linebackers, pretty good. Running back room, deep. Tight end room, probably one of the deepest in the league. It come, and their wide receiver core, again, at the top, 
looks real good. Their top four, very solid. Comes down to the guy distributing the ball. Uh, we've seen Carson Wentz make some horrendous decisions of late, and I don't care how good your skill position players are or how open they are. If he makes a terrible choice to throw into double or triple coverage, I don't care how open Terry McLaurin was. And I feel bad for Terry McLaurin because he's a great player, and I want to see him with a very competent quarterback, and I want to see it soon. I don't think this year is that year. At least he got his bag. He, he got, just got an absolute and massive amount of money. So good for him. Good, good for him. Love Terry McLaurin as a player. Really think he has even more than he showed, which is a lot in Washington. Get him with a very competent thrower of the football, and people are going to talk about him in a very different way. Man, all right, we got through it. That that might be the. I I can already tell the comment section is going to be contentious down below. I don't even know if I'm going to read it, but. <laughs> Maybe I will. I, I, I got to get another I got to get another beverage before I do, though. Yes. I've yes. never done a Commander's or Washington video in general without the comment section being fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's the word we'll go with. We'll go with fun. It'll be a nice uplift to close out the video with. I You know, overall, like, it's not going to be an awful team. And you're going to have some really fun games. Right, is the end result the sum total at the end of the year going to be what you want as a commanders fan depends on your expectations if your want is double digit wins and marching through the playoffs and slaying people don't think it probably is going to match up to that could but i wouldn't bet on it well at least tomorrow's show we get to deal with a nice sane fan base uh, like the philadelphia eagles so i'm looking forward to that he me too silently <laughs> Uh, well, at least there's a lot of positive things to talk about the Eagles. Um, please don't throw batteries at us. I'm asking ahead of time. I mean, at I, least wrap it in a nice snowball if you're gonna. <laughs> uh, we gotta we gotta get out to Philly at some point and give them oh, a yeah. peace offering Philly's, of Philly's a great something. town. I I love Philly and Washington's a great town too. I lived there for years. There's there's so. just two fan bases that I don't piss off, and it's Philly and Miami. So I'm just gonna say all positive things about the Eagles tomorrow. Uh, 17 and 0, Super Bowl bound. Go Birds! Let's do this shit. Uh, see you guys cool. tomorrow. All right, take care.